Okay, so welcome to the second podcast of uh, Coal Region Campfire. I actually didn't mention this last time, but I'm your host, uh, Alfredo. Our first episode got, got great reviews, and it's a big thank you to uh, Fred Finelli. Uh, he was awesome. I pretty much just tried to stay out of his way and let him uh, talk, and uh, he did awesome. Uh, great, great feedback. <clears throat> uh, the only actual uh, critique we got is people wanted it to be a little bit longer, so that's a compliment uh, to Fred. So um, <clears throat> just a quick reminder, you could find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, just search Coal Region Campfire. If you find us on iTunes, uh, subscribe, rate us, and share. Slowly when I start building an audience here, I think people are interested in this. So feel free to share with as many friends uh, as possible on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever, wherever you want to. So this episode... A little different. We're just changing gears a little bit. It's more of like a quote-unquote showbiz episode. Uh, we have uh, Bobby Ray Schaefer, who played Bob Vance on The Office, which uh, took place in Scranton, as you all know, and Dave Mickey Evans, who wrote The Sandlot. So both were incredibly generous with their time. We did the interviews via Skype. The sound quality is not the best, but you can hear, but you will see that uh, they're still very interesting. Kind of give you a little insight into the showbiz world. So here we are, our first one with Bobby Ray Schaefer. Thank you so much. Honestly, I can't, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time. Um, oh, no, my, my pleasure. I, I love to talk about myself. <laughs> as, as most people do, which is, which is my of goal. <laughs> right, right. Um, so as you know, we're recording. My goal is to release a podcast that focuses on the PA coal region. Um, love it. So, with you being on the office, you've been a, a fictional resident of uh, of Scranton, PA, for what ten years? I guess that's as long it ran. So, you're, well, you're... nine seasons total. Uh, I think a total of 187 episodes, something like that. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I did go to Scranton a couple times and uh, really enjoyed it. You know, they had a convention for us there, uh, which was amazing. Now, was so it what, where? Go ahead. I'm I'm actually from Pottsville, so I'm an I'm an hour south. Um, All right, right off 81 is that, there. Is that Lehigh Valley there? Uh, no. So Lehigh Valley is if you if you picture Scranton, uh, it's and, and like coming down on a triangle. Lehigh Valley is like to the right, and and Pottsville's like to the left there. Okay, gotcha. I used to when I was a kid, we would drive up to the Poconos and uh, vacation there. So you know, I was going to ask you if you ever if you ever were in Scranton prior to uh, the office uh i don't know if we were ever stopped there or not uh i actually have a cousin who's working uh in scranton right now for halliburton on a on a fracking rig so she loves uh she loves being there i always tell you you go into scranton wear your vance refrigeration gear so (laughs) you know maybe we'll get some props hey it's my cousin now (laughs) So you grew up in, in the coal region of like West Virginia, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, in Charleston, West okay. Virginia is where I grew up. So I uh, spent my first 11 years there and then moved on to Maryland and Michigan and Florida and now uh, Hollyweird. So how did, you, how did you end up in Hollywood? I mean, it seems like a far away from West Virginia. Well, it was, uh, there was a girl <laughs> and she, she wanted to come out here uh, mostly for the weather, and uh, so that's how I ended up out here. I was, was riding along with a girl. And then ha- you got an acting right away out there? Were you kind of in it before? 
oh no, no, <clears throat> I didn't know anything about it. I, I never had any interest in it whatsoever. Uh, I mean, really, when I say I knew nothing about it, <laughs> I knew nothing because I, I didn't grow up watching a lot of TV or uh, movies. I mean, it just really wasn't part of my life. So uh, for me to end up doing this was really kind of a, I guess, a calling. I, I don't know how else to look at it. Fate. <laughs> now, now Psych, Psycho Cop, was that your first big, big role? Absolutely. Uh, you know, so they just re-released it. Uh, Psycho Cop Returns uh, was re-released on Blu-ray in oh, April. Wow. Yeah, so it was great because the uh, to see it in that, you restore fully restored and um, completely uh, uh, the director's cut was released uh, the versions that had been on for years had been these horribly edited versions of it so it was, it was a lot of fun uh, especially when you, you know you go back to the archives of uh, your former self if sure you will. Um, it's a bit like looking through uh, through old photographs of when you were a kid right you, you have a connection to it recognize the individual uh, but the films are the same way you know it was funny because I was on a set with um, Curtis Armstrong who played Booger in, oh, uh, yeah, in, Booger. In, in Revenge of the Nerds and I said how do you how do you feel about uh, watching your younger self and he goes I like it <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's it's more like going into an antique shop and, and looking at the curios you know you're like what was I thinking there, you know? So, so you did, did cycle. How did you find out the audition for the office? Was it, did someone, was there a friend who kind of led no, you to? Uh, no, my agent, uh, got that audition for me. And, uh, it, that was a funny story because I, uh, I had, it was Halloween in Hollywood and I wasn't even aware that it was Halloween. So it, Halloween in Hollywood is a spectacle. You know, everybody's yeah. out on the streets are full of people. <laughs> I mean, it's it's Mardi Gras times ten. You sure. Know? And and so I got on the freeway to go into the audition. The call uh, was for five thirty, and it was in Hollywood. And usually that's a really easy jaunt for me. I live in Studio City, and you know I'm going against traffic, and I'm get I'm driving in there, and there's all this traffic. I'm like, what is going on? And so I hate to be late, <laughs> and you don't want to be late for auditions. But uh, as I got into Hollywood, there was no place to park. And I'm looking around. There's all these people in costumes running around the streets. And I finally you know, figure out, oh, it's Halloween. So I had to park a mile away, and I had to run. And I poured, uh, ran into the office. And uh, the casting director uh, was Allison Jones. And she, uh, she does a lot of the, the big comedies in Hollywood, uh, a lot of the Will Ferrell movies, sure. and, et cetera. And so... I come in there, I'm pouring sweat. <laughs> you know, I'm the last guy of the day. I'm out of breath. And uh, I was able to compose myself. And, uh, you know, uh, what they do is then they they uh, pick the best auditions of the day and cut it down and then send it to the producers. So apparently I made that cut. And then uh, later I was called in for uh, a callback over at the uh, production offices. And uh, Phyllis was there. And Phyllis uh, had been Allison Jones's casting assistant oh. before she got before she got the part in, uh, in the in the TV show, huh. which was the biggest life changer ever. Uh, oh yeah. Well she 
and she was really in my camp. You know, she wanted sure. me. There were a bunch of there were a bunch of guys there uh, for the callback. Also, the part had originally been uh, one of the writer producers was going to play the role, and uh, then he chickened out, I guess. Thankfully, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's funny because when uh, when the show was on, and I would go into other casting directors' offices, they would always say, uh, "Did you know Phyllis was the casting director?" Because <laughs> she got the golden ticket out, you know. And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm aware of that." <laughs> so, what was the so role? It was really- what were they calling for in the role? Was it like a like what what was the what was the call sheet like a a strict no nonsense uh, or or was it do you uh, remember? No, no. The original material was kind of very much like Michael. You know, he was kind of a glib, uh, kind of a I don't know. Uh, he was using words like sextastic <laughs> and you know stuff like that. And then they 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 evolved him. Uh, and, but again, you know, television is a writer's medium, mm-hmm. so you you're really at their mercy. Uh, but as it developed, uh, Bob was a Marine, obviously, and uh, had been in Vietnam and had a family there, <laughs> left a family there. Uh, but I, you know, as I was playing him, uh, you know, my uh, my whole take on it was, you know, Bob never drank, right? In any of the episodes, you never see him right. drinking. Not even at the uh, wedding. Uh, no, and then uh, then all of a sudden, in one of the episodes, uh, Phyllis is talking about Bob and <laughs> yeah. her being on, on vacation <laughs> in uh, Africa, and I was drunk and I ran over, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I ran over a kid or an animal. Nobody knew, who knew, and then there was later Phyllis said, uh, "Well, Bob and I like to go out to bars, and uh, you know, I show a lot of cleavage, and then Bob will get into a fight with them, you know." <laughs> That was not what I was playing at all, but the writers are having some fun there, so you just have to uh, go with the flow. Well, I went down the rabbit hole on 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 Reddit, and you know some of the theories out there, and and one of the theories was every time you say Bob Vance refrigeration, was that a marketing ploy? They said because you knew the cameras Absol- were there. Sure, sure it is. Uh, but again, that comes from uh, uh, the writer was Michael Schur, who first introduced Bob Vance Vance refrigeration. So the the joke still works. I mean, everybody wants me to always say it all the time. Everybody right. goes, Bob Vance. What line of work are you in, Bob? So uh, the the actual uh, greeting was something that I discovered uh, researching it. Uh, at the turn of the century, the 19th century, uh, there's a lot of businessmen doing travel, right? So the proper greeting would be Bobby Ray Schaefer, Los Angeles, California, actor. Oh, okay. So you would, you would say, state your name, your hometown, and your business. So that you would, these are immediate conversation starters, right? Oh, yeah, I know somebody from Hollywood. Or, you know, yeah, I'm in the acting business. So that's, it's a very formal uh, greeting. But Bob was always doing it to promote the business. Now, the other theory is, was Bob, was he a mob boss? No. <laughs> Although I'd have to ask the writers, they might have some other uh, some other idea no he was just a very successful businessman uh-huh. you know i mean i was always always had a lot of money and was always paying for things and you know i i really modeled him after my uncles who were you know successful businessmen sure created their own businessmen and they, they're real go-getters you know you have to be on all the time so uh the 
the real uh, conceit of the character was, uh, I remember when we were doing uh, my favorite episode, aside from Phyllis's wedding, is Casino Night. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where Jim and Pam first kiss, and Michael invites two dates. <laughs> you know, he, he ends up with uh, Jan, and uh, his own wife was playing the, the real estate agent, Carol. Uh, a disastrous Michael Scott event. Uh, but I, I remember telling Phyllis, you know, remember your first love in junior high school, right? You weren't interested in anybody else. You, you, you only had this tunnel vision for that first love, right? So that's what I wanted to get into it was that they loved each other so much. Mm-hmm. And that's what always shone through. You oh, know, absolutely. Uh, you know, that, that was always the thing was their love. And so everybody else on the on the show was trying to get what the most unlikely couple on the show already had. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what made it stand out was that pure love. Now, what about Michael? Did, my, my, did, did you like Michael? What about him? Did you like him? <laughs> Steve Carell, yes, well, no, I Steve, love Steve but, Carell. But Michael uh, on The Office, I mean, like even at the wedding, I mean, with the, with the speech and everything, I mean. Well. Yeah, no, he had to be tossed right there. That's a funny story because he actually got hurt when we did that. And uh, we had these uh, heavy curtains to go through. Uh-huh. And there were three three steps down. And he fell going through those curtains and injured his ankle, which he had hurt on Evan Almighty. So he goes down. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, he's screaming, he's cursing. And I'm like, holy crap, I've just heard Mike, I've just heard Steve. And, you know, so I flip the curtains open. I'm like, help! <laughs> and there's 200 people out there in the room, and here come all the producers running. And, you know, so it was a, it was a big deal. And I was like, oh, this is really bad for Bob because uh, Carell's going to associate pain. <laughs> Bob doesn't like Scott, but he tolerates him. And, you know, I always had people ask me, why doesn't Bob just kick his ass? Right. I'm like, well, that's not a fight. Where would you go from there, right? Right, you of know, course. Bob has to tolerate him because Phyllis works there. Plus, but Phyllis and him go end. back. They went to high school. Yeah, together, that's right? right. That's right. And he he doesn't have to like it, you know. But he never he never really, you know. Michael's terrified of Bob. I think they say that in one of the episodes. He's yeah, like, he's scared. He's scared to death. <laughs> well, yeah, but he would be. I, you know, I, I mean, I'm six foot four, two hundred thirty pounds. You know, I'm a heavyweight, and he's. He's a little guy. Now, West Virginia, so, you're a big guy. Did you play any sports in, in high school? I played basketball in high school. Okay. Uh, my cousin, uh, John Ray, uh, played for uh, the Mountaineers. Uh, when we finally, finally, dear, thank you, we beat the Nittany Lions. <laughs> <laughs> he played on the the uh, team that played for the national championship. Oh, okay. Uh, quarterback by Major Harris out of uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, and, sure. I remember uh, that team. Do you remember uh, yeah. a, a player, Jake Kelschner? He was a Kelschner, QB. Yeah. And uh, Bo Orlando. I, I actually, um, I did a, a documentary on Berwick football, and they had a bunch of West Virginia guys down there. Yeah, it's a great football school. Oh yeah. Man. You know, uh, every year we seem to be doing pretty well. So I, I like to watch their games. I, I really prefer college football to. Football. Yeah, I, I would agree. Nothing beats a, a fall Saturday. Now, well, how would you no. think? Uh, what would uh, Bob uh, Vance Refrigeration? What would what would their score be on Yelp? How many stars do you think they would have? Oh, that's how many can you have? Five. But well, then you, we'd have six. <laughs> <laughs> service, you know, we're in the service business. 
we we're in the keeping it cool business, baby. <laughs> so, so have you have you ever been back to Scranton after the office? Uh, well, not not since the show ended. Mm. Uh, I came back. We were there on an office fan tour. I remember that. And uh, it was funny because we were out at Lake Scranton, and we uh, there was a wedding there that was taking place, oh, <laughs> and they were all excited. Uh, here comes this bus with you know I think there were fifty people on the bus and me, and uh, the you know you got to be funny, <laughs> right. so uh, of course I was trying my my hardest, and uh, suddenly we were a part of this wedding. You know we were taking pictures, <laughs> and they were like, oh my god, <laughs> so it, it's fun. Scranton loves the office. I mean. I don't think there would ever be uh, a town, you know, that was more appreciative of a TV show than that one. Yeah, ever. I mean, it, it, you know, we, my girlfriend and I, we still watch it. I mean, it, it, it still holds. I mean, it, I, I mean, I just die laughing watching just the awkwardness. I mean, the writing is unbelievable, the acting, everything. But the jokes, the jokes hold up. Oh yeah, I mean, it's 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 perfect. I mean, the thing too I love is the accuracy you guys had in that show. I mean. The stores that you named, they're all real places. Yeah, that's right. It's just neat to kind of, you guys didn't like phone it in or, or, you know, just pretend like, oh, no one's going to recognize this. I mean, it was, it was like spot on every single one. Well, even the the company name Dunder Mifflin, those are historical Pennsylvania names. Mifflin was one of the original uh, governors, uh, I believe, of Pennsylvania. (laughs) So there was some research. I, I, can't remember why, uh, how Greg Daniels chose Scranton. Uh, I, I read it somewhere. He told me once I asked him. Yeah, I but, think it uh, was something like he wanted a town that was kind of close to New York, some, something along those lines. Right. I wasn't sure right. exactly. How, yeah, how, yeah. How, what was a typical day like on set? Like someone who, someone who doesn't know acting, you know, you, you get there right. at 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock? Oh, yeah, no, 6 to, usually 12-hour days we were doing 6 to 6 or 6 to 8. Uh, I think uh, people don't understand <laughs> that it's a pretty slow process, right? Sure. It's not, it's not speedy. Um, we, uh, the food was fantastic. First of all, <laughs> the, the best ever that's people go, what do you miss most? And I'm like the, the craft services, the catering was phenomenal. Uh, but that's what you get when you have a, a hit show, a hit network right. show, right? Cause there's, there's big money involved. I mean, the office is, uh, is as popular now, or mm-hmm. maybe even more so than when it was actually airing on NBC. Uh, if you go to NBC.com, there's pages and pages of uh, goods to buy. You yeah. Know? Include, including a lot of Vance refrigeration yeah. gear, so get on there, get your new hoodie, get your new t-shirt, get your new travel mug, get your new coffee cup, get it. So, NBC.com, Vance refrigeration page. <laughs> Uh, a day on the set, you know, uh, we would typically do really the way that it's measured uh, in Hollywood is uh, by the number of pages that you do per day, mm-hmm. right? Each page is calibrated to represent one minute of screen time. Now, that's, you know, for instance, uh, you know, they, <laughs> there was a joke going around about Ben Hur, right? Uh, where it said exterior, Coliseum, day. <laughs> chariots racing <laughs> right. yeah it's one that line <laughs> yeah that's one line so that's obviously going to run a lot longer you know so uh but the the thing about comedy and especially uh, dialogue driven uh shows is that they pace up pretty well 
the other thing is that we were uh, making a mockumentary, so the cameras were handheld, uh, which means we didn't have to set up at all these different camera shots. Uh, I, while I was doing The Office, uh, I, I went and did an episode of Desperate Housewives, which, oh, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> you know, I was used, I thought, you know, we really shoot fast on The Office, right? Because uh, it's handheld and we're getting reactions. Right. And, but then I went on this Desperate Housewives, and that's a hair and makeup show. So every after every take, these girls had to have their hair done. I mean, it was driving me crazy. And it was old, you know, we were shooting film on Desperate Housewives, so it was much slower, and I, mean, I was just tedious. So um, that was the one thing is that, you know, we were shooting fast, and uh, so that keeps the energy up. Uh, and that's what you have to have in comedy, right? Right. I, I mean, the energy has to be just flowing uh i mean there were times where i would literally be i would marvel at, you know because in comedy you're searching for almost a musical rhythm right mm -hmm. it should achieve this rhythm um there was an episode i forget what, <coughs> crime aid crime aid uh rain wilson and i are bidding for a hug from phyllis right oh yeah I remember that. and and there's other people throwing in bids but if you watch it again you'll see that it's musical in the way that, and, you know, I, I remember after one take, I was like, that's the one, because everybody was just perfect, right on it, you know, so that's what you're striving for in comedy. Was, and, there, and, was there anybody, like, you, like that you couldn't keep it together with, like, like that you would just die laughing doing a scene? No, no, uh, well, the, the very first time uh, that uh, we did the Bob Vance, uh, Vance refrigeration gag, uh, Ryan, uh, BJ Novak broke, he's, he broke up laughing on the first take. Right. So I was like, gotcha. <laughs> but no, I, no, nobody ever cracked me up. I mean, I was always in the world so far, you know, right. I, that I don't like to give away. I came up in independent film, so I don't like to burn takes. Uh, you know, that's just, the that's just money. Right. Yeah. Right. So you, you don't burn film. Uh, now the guys would try to make each other laugh. Right. Rain Wilson and Steve and, and uh, uh, John Krasinski, Jim, they would do add things on and do takes that were de designed to make each other laugh. <laughs> right. But no, nah, no, nah, you can't break me. <laughs> Not about bands, hell. No. And you think there'll ever be a reunion? Well, you know, the president of NBC came out a couple weeks ago and said that he'd like to bring it back. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so... Now, that would be tough. I think that's wishful thinking, but you know, it would. I think a lot of it would depend on uh, were feelings hurt when they ended it. You know, right. what's the money? It's always the money, right? Sure. Um, I'm sure the the low, you know, the second tier of actors would gladly come back to do it. You know, absolutely. It's a high point, right? I don't know. As I said when we stopped doing it, I don't know if we'll ever have a better show than this to do. Because it started out, you know, it was the lowest rated show in NBC history. Really? It was, yeah, 2.1. The first season, the first six episodes, you know, they were pretty much doing a word for word from the British from, version. Okay. Yeah. And Michael Scott's really weird. I mean, he's, he's a hair slicked back. He's yeah. kind of dark. Uh, if you watch the early Seinfelds, they haven't discovered who Kramer is, right? Uh-huh. Right. And around season three, they go... This is who Kramer is. 
Well, they discovered Michael Scott in season two, right? They said, oh, uh, the thing that saved it was uh, the 40-year-old virgin. That was a, you know, a huge hit. And they were like, wait a minute, maybe we've got something here because otherwise it was on the ropes, you know, right. last. And uh, the cast was interacting with uh, the fans on MySpace, which, you know, is that still around? Uh, but it was the Facebook, right, uh, uh, before Facebook. So we had this bond with the fans. And what really drove it was not so much the ratings, but the ancillary marketplace. Vance Refrigerator on NBC.com. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's what's life like today in Hollywood for you? It's a beautiful day in Hollywood. Uh, you know, I'm up for a big part right now that I got my fingers crossed on uh, a film with Vigo Mortensen. Oh, wow. And, uh, it would be, uh, it's called Green Book, and it's directed by Peter Farley from... Uh, uh, the Farley Brothers, oh, okay. or something about Mary and me, it... myself, and Irene. Yeah, so I'm waiting here on that, and then you know I've got a bunch of stuff coming out. I <clears throat> I did a a great little uh, a French TV series. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, with Denise Richards. <laughs> it's called I love the title. It's called A Girl Is a Gun. <laughs> and there's uh, my new favorite line is when Denise Richards says, "Do you want to?" <clears throat> black me and I go show me what you got <laughs> so good times there uh, I'm the you know the villain in that so it was fun to get back to playing yeah the it's villain. funny I I, uh, I watched uh, Dick Dixter that you sent me I, I loved it but it's it's awesome. weird seeing you in this like jerk role when when you know we saw you for for nine seasons on the office very straight sure. and narrow and then you, you know you see see you in this role so I mean it, it was great I, I definitely enjoyed it really you thought Dick Dixter was a jerk <laughs> uh, no, right. <laughs> well, that's really my love letter to Hollywood is Dick Dexter. You know, it, it it's based on uh, again. Uh, I made it because of the mockumentary style. Yeah, uh, I, I shot it in six days. Okay, six days. That's right. Wow. And I had I had three cameras going, so that allowed me. I didn't care if the cameras saw each other. Right. Right. So that really sped things up. Um, but it was really based on all these directors that I've known. I've known hundreds of directors. And so you have to have this ego to uh, be a director, right? You want to be the controlling force. And uh, so I thought, well, what could be more humiliating uh, for a director than to remake his only hit horror film into porno? <laughs> <laughs> right? So that's what and he has to do it, you know, so you force him to do it. Uh, but it was really based on Alfred Hitchcock and Roman Polanski and, you know, John Ford and all these directors who, um, they're monsters. <laughs> right. But they're allowed to be monsters because they're artistes. They're, you know, they're geniuses. So I thought, well, let's take a guy who's not really uh, any of those things, but he thinks he is, right? So. And everything that he hates about Hollywood, he's immediately guilty of. Sure. You know, uh, you know, I, why can't you get? I can't get funding because of all the lies. <laughs> and you know, he immediately lies to the next guy. Oh yes, I love this script. I want to make this movie. You know, so everything he does is uh, what he hates about other people, which is usually uh, true in 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 real life, R E A L life, right? What we dislike in our, in others right. is what. We secretly disliking ourselves so 
That's great. That was that was the conceit. And uh, it's coming out very soon. I was just talking to the distributor today, and uh, so we're pretty excited to finally have it out into the world and uh, let everybody see uh, some funny stuff. Well, thanks for sending me a screener, man. I definitely appreciate that. Um, I appreciate it. I appreciate you watching it. So any other projects? Any other projects you're going to do? Like, uh, or you just kind of – I know in Hollywood well, you always got to be doing something, right? Well, I want to make my own movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like after making Dixter, the best part of that for me was editing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's what I do by blue- trade. I'm an I'm an editor, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, it, uh, you know, that's where the real fun is—is is, is mm-hmm. the editing of it. So I enjoyed that, and uh, we have a, a project uh, called Jim Stone Highway Patrol which is a uh, one lone highway patrolman taking on some terrorists, you know, with a <laughs> shotgun. So, uh, you know, that's a guns, girls and cars picture. Right. And, uh, looking to get that off the road. I, I like to drive cars fast and I like to shoot terrorists with shotguns. So what can there you be go. better? There's a good marriage. <laughs> you, now has the office, has, how many doors has the office opened up for you in, in LA? Oh, a lot, a lot. I mean, it, you know, you're, when you, I, my career has been, uh, you know, I've made almost 50 B movies, right? Mm-hmm. So those don't have the, the impact that the office does. I mean, everybody knows, you know, the office. I mean, so it, when you walk into casting directors and, uh, I remember I went in to meet the Cohen brothers on a film and they're like, Oh, Hey Bobby, how are <laughs> you? They were loving on me. I'm, I'm always startled when somebody knows me, you know, I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> How does he, how do they know me? <laughs> I, I mean, was there a certain part where, like, did you pinch yourself, like, at the height of, I mean, at the height of the office? I mean, you, you had to be like, oh, my gosh, this is the number well, one show. I mean, Well, uh, this is it. This is the true story here. Um, I was at the Golden Globes, uh, and, uh, you know, NBC has their own part and of the of the festivities, and we were all having a great time, except I was shooting Phyllis's wedding the next morning, so I wasn't partying, you know, I was... I was being true to Bob. Sure. And uh, guy walks in the room, and uh, so I go over and introduce myself, and I say, uh, "Mr. Trump, hi, I'm Bobby Ray Schaefer uh, from uh, the office." And he looks at me and he goes, "Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration." <laughs> so, uh, meeting the president or the future president uh, or the now current president, uh, and him knowing who I was was pretty. Uh, yeah, geez, looking back on that too, I imagine that's. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I got bigger, you know. But I have to say, when he walked in the room, he was the most charismatic guy in there. Right? Wow. Okay. I mean, and, and that's in a room full of TV stars. I mean, people know who you know. He's been a he's been in the public eye for thirty years before he ran for right. president. Right. I mean, he was a very great self promoter, and uh, he wanted to be famous. So, and fourteen years on The Apprentice, right? He's a very savvy guy. Oh, absolutely. He, That's one thing you, you know, can't take away. Obviously, he just uh, ran the most unlikely and greatest campaign in the history of uh, American politics, really, when you think about I it. I know. It, it, I mean, if you look at it objectively, absolutely. So, I mean, do you—I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Go, no, I was just saying, you know, we're, we're surrounded by the media that hates him. You know, 91% of the coverage has been negative about this guy, and meanwhile, he's just working away. Because his whole work ethic is stunning. I mean, you don't you don't develop 
buildings in New York City. <laughs> you think that's easy? No, that, that's build? definitely not easy. That's for sure. That's one of the hardest things in the world. You know, you have to have some uh, wherewithal to, to get that kind of get that done. Absolutely. So, I'm you, a big fan. Do you still see uh, a lot of uh, the office people? Every now and then, a lot of them live in Studio City, so okay. I'll see them at the grocery store. Or, you know, uh, I run into Andy Buckley quite a bit, uh, David Wallace. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, we, He's great. We both we both play golf, and so we see each other at the golf course every now and then. He's so. a pretty good golfer, right? He's, he was a, like a, a pro-am or something? Yeah, he plays in a lot of pro-ams. He's on that celebrity golf circuit, you know, which is, uh, is a fun thing when you can get on it, if you, if you don't mind you know, staying at resorts and playing golf. Yeah, right. That's a, that's a hard life. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind that at all. Uh, you know, if I could do that every day, I just need somebody to finance it. Well, they say it's a, it's a hard way to make an easy living, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> but the more you play, the better you get. Yeah, you that's know? true. So that's, that's, the, uh, that's the great thing about it. I was going on these golf vacations in Hilton Head, and I love to come to West Virginia and play golf because all my relatives belong to these country clubs, and, you know, the treatment is fantastic and there's nobody out there. <laughs> so you're playing fast rounds and, you know, if when you play two, three, four days in a row, by the fourth day, you're really nailing it. Yeah. I mean, I know I, I go out a couple of times a year. I tried to go out more, but like I noticed like, you, you know, even on the back nine, you're already better than the front nine. A lot of times, sure. some days, That's, not, not the case, well, but you, you know, when I'm out playing with somebody and they're getting all frustrated and you're going, what the, and I'm like, when did you last play? Yeah. <laughs> and they'll be like, uh, a year ago. And I'm like, what do you expect? I mean, you know, you wouldn't sit down at a piano and think, okay, I'm going to play this uh, concert by Beethoven. Right. <laughs> so it's just sort of the same thing. Well, I think that's all the questions I have. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. My pleasure. Awesome. And good luck with your podcast. Uh, yeah, I'll your let podcast. you know when I, when I release it. I'll send you, a, I'll send you it before, before I release it. But that was great. You know, I forgot to ask, how did I look? You look great. I, I'll actually just lose oh. your audio. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll just lose your audio. That's funny. But you look handsome that's, on screen, if, if that if that. Well, it, that's a joke. That's a joke. A friend of mine uh, went to uh, the Philippines to shoot a movie, and so the actress that he was working with, she was there, and he said to her, I just saw you in this trailer for your new movie. And the first thing she said was, how did I look? <laughs> so, so I've always used that, you know, uh, in a way, you know. That's a great line. Joke. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank Feel you. Free to borrow that. All right. Thanks, Bobby. All right. Appreciate All right, it. Man, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. So hopefully you enjoyed uh, Bobby Ray. And now we're going to switch gears and go to Dave Mickey Evans, who wrote The Sandlot. So now you're from Wilkesbury, correct? Uh, originally, yeah, I was born there. Okay. Yeah. And then did you go to high school? Did you grow up in the coal region? No, no. We, uh, my mom moved us out of there when, uh, when we were very small, probably my brother's probably two. I was probably four or something okay. like that. And I've been back maybe twice in my life All right. know, for a family reunion type of thing when I was a kid. But, and I saw tons of cousins, second cousins, third cousins, aunts, uncles, you name it. Ton, tons and tons of people. Now where, did, now, where did you move to? Uh, Southern California. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, the northeastern San Fernando Valley in uh, in uh, Southern California. Okay. Uh, and lived there probably from the age of, oh, gosh, five or six until I was probably in my early 40s. And then I uh, I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> so I moved to Florida. So, okay, so you're, you're known 
primarily for, for the Stanley. I know you've done a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. Now, how could you take us through the process? Like people back home probably don't know much about like Hollywood and, and so when did you write the the Sandlot? Uh, nineteen ninety one. Okay, I, think I wrote it and I, I think I finished it July of ninety ninety one or two. Can't remember exactly. Uh, but right around there, um, it was after I had. Uh, done a picture called radio flyer in 1990 okay and that was a big debacle that's been written about a million times and uh uh i got canned i got fired off of directing that picture because there was this big conspiracy that was all tied up with sony overtake taking over columbia and google peters and all this sort of nonsense um and so i had everybody in hollywood gets a second chance nobody gets a third okay and so I had a second chance. I mean, I had to make my own chance, mm-hmm. my own second chance, because uh, I wanted to direct. So I, I knew I had to write something that was contained budgetarily and uh, location-wise. In other words, I couldn't have 100 locations and be going all over the country. I needed to be basically one place and make a movie. And it's very right. difficult to to come up with an idea or write a movie that takes place in such limited confines. Um, but I was on the freeway the the horrible 405 freeway one day and something occurred to me that happened in my childhood and uh it was just one of those i got you know aha moments and it, i had i had it and it took me about i don't know a month to write it which is pretty fast for a screenplay right yeah yeah it's 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 really fast yeah i mean i've got stuff i've been working on for 25 years that's still not done. I, I'm, I'm an aspiring screenwriter so <laughs> i've i I know I've written a bunch. A lot of it's bad, but I know it just takes forever to kind of, you know. I mean, an average is, you know, the idea, the outlining of it, all of the research, the concordances. I mean, all the stuff that we go through, all the agony and the discovery and all the, the that kind of thing. I mean, that's, you know, four months minimum usually. Right. You know, and so I'd say between four and six months, sometimes eight, nine is – if there is such a thing as an average average to get a first draft, which, uh, you know, then you gotta, there's no rewriting. There's only rewrite, right? There's no writing. There's only rewriting. So yeah, you, writing is rewriting, right? Yeah. You, you, the heavy lifting gets done and you're always relieved until you realize, ah, shit, <laughs> I gotta do this five more times. You know? <laughs> now, Okay, so the, the movie is, is probably one of the more quotable movies out there. I mean, L7 Weenie, you know, Forever, uh, You're Killing Me Smalls. Now, was that in the script? Was any of that ad-libbed? Or? No, that was all that stuff was in the script. I mean, there's plenty of ad-lib mm-hmm. in that movie. Um, because, I mean, it just you... flows. It's perfect. I mean... Well, I appreciate that. I mean, it, you know, it's a, look, you, you know, you make three movies. You write a movie, you direct a movie, you cut a movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the writing is the agony, uh, the directing is the fun part, and the editorial is sort of the dream time. Um, and things happen, you know, uh, opportunities uh, for a funny line here, or, ooh, let's change that, let's do this, let's tweak that. And in the editing of the thing, you know, I could find a, a, a close-up of a kid who's making a funny face and go, oh, man, it'd be really funny if some kid off screen said X. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a line in there where you don't even see squints, he's... He's in the outfield. He's not on screen, but you can hear him yelling, come on, Benny, uh, you know, let, let's play my closer going out of style. Now, that, that's a funny line, but for some reason, in Japan, 
that is like considered one of the funniest lines in motion really? picture. Don't ask me why. I've never been to Japan. I don't really know the culture, but apparently they really fucking think that's funny. Okay. And, and some guy, some, I don't remember who this was, did a, some sort of thing on the internet with some algorithm and, uh, tried to determine what is the most quoted line in movie history. And you're killing me. Smalls is like in the top three. Oh yeah. I believe it. You know, um, which kind of freaks me out, but I, I think it's awesome. Oh my God. Uh, I mean, I know we'd always say, you know what I mean? Or, I mean? We still say it to this day if someone's, you know, doing something or, I mean, yeah. but a lot of times too, like I know when I write, like it's hard because you might think something's hilarious and then, it, you know, you read it out loud and you're like, eh, it, it's not that good. And then the things that you think are stupid, you know, or yeah, you write, let me get my coffee. Hold on. Um, yeah, or you write it and, you know, you say it and it's freaking hilarious. And then the actor says it and they go, I don't get it. Right. And you're like, oh, man, how can you not get this? And then there, you know, there's another conversation about how do you communicate that? How do you get that over if they don't get it? And, you know, that's that's a that's that's always a challenge. Any aspects of it? Like, so you, you, I guess it's that's from were you pulling on experiences from your own childhood in, in California? Oh, sure. I mean, look, the the whole incident where a kid goes over a backyard where there's a vicious dog to get a baseball, that actually happened. My, my little brother did that. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, we, we lived in a little city called Pacoima, which after WW2 was, you know, one of these Eisenhower era, you know, gigantic, many tens of thousands of acres developments with three plus two ranch homes with little money down and anybody could buy it and everybody in America, the middle class was just, is at the height of their purchasing powers and stuff in those days. And by the time we moved in there, though, uh, we moved in at the end of white flight, which was that phenomenon that, that happened uh, and happens all over the, the country. So me and my brother were the only little Caucasian kids, maybe one of a couple that lived on this block. Mm. And uh, the rest of the, the makeup was Chicano. And they uh, they didn't like us uh, at all, and they used to beat the shit out of us all the time, daily. And they used to play baseball down at the end of this block, and they never let us play. They play all the different sports during the sports season. Sure, yeah, yeah. So they played baseball down there. My brother, who was probably eight, nine at the time, wanted to play, and he went down there, and they hit their baseball over a fence, and. Uh, they said, go get the baseball and we'll let you play. And I wasn't with him. So he went and got it. And there was this big German Shepherd mix abused dog. And people treated it horrible. And it broke a chain. And uh, as he was climbing back over the fence, he got the ball. Uh, but it, it ripped his leg, a big chunk out of his leg. I had to go to the hospital. It was horrible. Um, and they all laughed at him. And I carried that uh, all the way into my early adulthood, you know, mid-20s, right. something like that. I fucking hated those guys. And it occurred to me as I was on this freeway, you know, in bumper to bumper traffic, took me three hours to go 18 miles, typical Southern California. Yeah, right. Shit. I was thinking about that and I went, why the hell am I giving these guys space in my brain? You know, this is horrible. What are you doing, Dave? And then I remembered that, that whole incident and I said, oh my God, that's a movie. And by the time I got home, I opened up a screen and started, I actually, it wasn't, The Sandlot wasn't the original title. The original title was The Boys of Summer which Roger Kahn threatened to sue me over because that was the name of his book. Oh, okay. I, I, I wasn't ripping him off on purpose or anything. It just seemed like a good title. But anyway, so I changed the sound. And so I wrote, you know, 
fade in exterior of the Sandlot day. And, you know, three weeks later I had this, uh, this movie and the way I dealt with the reason I wrote it, one, I thought it was a good idea for a movie, but two, it was, uh, rather than tracking these guys down and, you know, metting out some, some nice painful justice, I decided, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forgive them. And, uh, the way I'm gonna do that is I'm gonna turn them all into heroes. And I did, that's, that's essentially right. the story of the Sandlot, you know, and it worked. I yeah. went. Would, would the Sandlot, <laughs> would the Sandlot get made today? It's funny you should say that. The odds, the odds are heavily against. Okay, mm. um, I have a new. Yeah, uh, I saw script. a new baseball movie, right? Yeah, exactly. And and this is, I mean, I'm just I I don't rate my own work, but if I had to compare it to the to the Sandlot, uh, it's a little bit more mainstream than that, you know, because it's about a little league team. It's actually based on a true story and stuff. But, you know, the characters, the funny, uh, the, the, the way they're engaged, I mean, it, it, it's, it's right up there. It's right up there with the Sandlot. Great. And one would think, um, because, I mean, you know, there is an argument to be made the Sandlot's the most successful baseball movie ever made, even though it's not a movie about baseball. Uh, I'm finding it very, very difficult to find money to make that movie. Yeah, because well, it's the foreign markets, right? They're, they're afraid it won't play in a foreign market with sports yeah, well, movies. That's exactly that's one of the big reasons, which is an, it's an absolute crock of shit because that's not true. It's factually untrue and it can be proven. Okay, the Sandlot's made more money in Canada, Australia, Japan, and Germany than it has in the United States. Wow! Okay. Inter uh, over the over its life, twenty five sure, years. Yeah. Um, and it's because they love baseball. But again, the movie's not about baseball, and neither is Junior Americans. Set against the background of baseball, but it's not about that. Now, what's your what's your uh, writing process like? I know you said you do the research and stuff like that. I mean, you type it out, you write it out, you, you speak it into. It depends. Yeah, I mean, it, it, no, I don't dictate. It, it 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 depends on the story and and I don't know how it hits me. Um, there's uh, usually you know a long period of uh, conversations with myself. You know, um, staring out the window, staring at the wall. Yeah. Going to the gym, going and staring at the ocean across the street. Uh, John, who was it? The great, the great British playwright wrote "Look Back in Anger." Uh, oh God, I can't remember his name. They asked him once about that, and uh, he says, uh, "My writing process is very simple. It's long periods of agonizing contemplation followed by swift completion." <laughs> Sometimes it's like that for me. It's right. always agony, you know. Um, uh, sometimes there's a flow. Sometimes this. It's a matter of getting out of my own way and just sort of letting it happen and not trying to control things. Although it, that's sort of you know a conundrum because I have to have control. I have to control the story, and I I, I use four by six cards. I don't. Yeah. I don't use any of these. Uh, I mean, I I use Screenwriter Six, and you know, I have. Jesus, I was the beta tester for all those screen writing programs in the 80s. Um, so I have all that stuff. So, But none of that means anything. It just makes typing easier. So I have big, big walls of uh, cork board and stuff. And I put up sometimes thousands, sometimes hundreds of, of those uh, note cards. Sometimes, uh, you know, they sort of make sense because I, I, I can see it as it's going. Sometimes I really don't know where it's going, so I'm just I'm going. That's a good idea. 
put that one here. That's a good idea. Put that one there. And I end up with a jigsaw puzzle and all the pieces are out of place, you know, mm. and then it'll take sometimes weeks, some a couple months to organize that. And I go, okay, I can start to see some sort of structure here because screenplays are nothing if they're not structured. That's why it's the most difficult form in which to write well. Um, the, on the other hand, it's the form in which everybody thinks they can write. Yeah, everyone thinks like, alphabet. oh, I, yeah, I, I said something funny today. There's a, there's a screenplay there. It's like, yeah, yeah it's a little yeah. more than that. but Dude, I mean, I can't even tell you. I used to try to be kind to people when they go, so what do you do? And I'm, oh, I'm a screenwriter. I'm a writer, director. I'm a, I'm a writer, whatever. And they go, you know... I got a good I've movie. always wanted to write, mm -hmm. right? You, they get that, and yeah. I used to go, "Well, that's good. Maybe you, should, you know, try it." Now I go, "Really? I've always wanted to practice fucking brain surgery," <laughs> and which is what they deserve for asking that question or saying making that statement. Anyway, so you know, somehow those things get into piles, you know, and I, and I tried. Then I was organizing individual cards. Now I'm organizing piles of cards. And then cards start switching between, but eventually I end up with, you know, this long chain of piles of ideas that have become scenes that are in, you know, certain sections and stuff. I, I, I pay very, very little attention to first act, second act, third act. You know, I know what that is, but I really don't give a shit. It doesn't mean anything to me. Right. Um, you know, I, you know, one, you can learn to write, you can learn, uh, in, uh, screenplay form in, you know, five days, really, you know, I've read tens of thousands of screenplays uh -huh. and I read all the time. I mean, you know, the good ones, uh, you get something from and the bad ones you get something from, you know, this is what not to do. Right. Um, so eventually uh, you just can't put it off anymore and you gotta hit the keyboard, you know, so <laughs> Then I try to put them all up. I, I'm a very visual uh, person, so I have to see this stuff as I'm writing it. And uh, and then as I finish a scene, I'll put a check mark on the thing, and eventually, all the uh, four by six cards are gone off my wall, and you know the first draft is uh, done. What What's your favorite part of the Sandlot? What's your favorite scene? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, it's my baby. I, I, I love it all. I love, uh, when Benny comes onto that, uh, Sandlot in the end and he's, uh, he puts those PF flyers on. I mean, I like when he, he pickles the dog. That was, you know, my ode to Sergio Leone and, you know, the spaghetti Westerns and, and I love that one hero shot where we're waiting. I had to dig a hole in the ground to get that big hero shot of Benny and, David Newman just stung that with music just perfect. So that's it. I always cry when I when I see that. What's the what's the feeling when you when you when you finally sell a screenplay? Oh man, um, it's terrific. You know, I mean, <laughs> you got got to pay the bills. You know, right? Uh, it's uh, you know, look, I, I, I you know, yeah, I, I'm a writer. I make my living as a writer and a director. Uh, um, I understand that. But I don't write for money, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I have in the past, and uh, I don't particularly enjoy that. Um, uh, but I write for me, you know. And if I, if something interests me uh, enough to want to write it, then it's worthwhile, and and that's what I do. Then I then I do it. All right. So if you felt that got cut off a little short, uh, full disclosure, we didn't have the best uh, Skype connection. 
So the last part of the interview was kind of in and out. So and I think we hit all the important uh, parts while we had a good connection. But that's it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, can't thank my guest enough. And uh, tune in next week uh, when we talk to Salvas Logothatis. All right. Thank you. Bye.